Okay, hello, hello, and good morning. Actually, we're um, recording this in the morning uh, for this particular session. This is uh, Rachel and Matt here in Melbourne, Australia, with episode three of When Movies Were Good. Uh, Matt, how are you doing today? Yeah, I'm good. Yeah, I'm good. How are you doing? Yeah, good. There's been a very um, large temperature drop here in Melbourne, so both of us are sort of shivering away this morning. <laughs> this. Uh, yeah. uh, uh, Oh, okay. I think um, I, I hope we don't have some of our audio problems that we were having again, but we'll um, we'll just press on. Um, so you're doing okay today, Matt? Yeah, I'm doing. Yeah, I'm doing good. It's a lot colder, like you said, but I think we'll plow through. Yes, we. <laughs> oh, well, I'm sure we will. So we're doing our Elizabeth Taylor double today. So the the delightful duo we have for you today is uh, the 1951 A Place in the Sun, starring Elizabeth Taylor and Montgomery Clift and Shelley Winters. And then we jump to 1958, um, which is Tennessee Williams or the movie version of the Tennessee Williams play Cat on a Hot Tin Roof. Uh, and that would start Elizabeth Taylor, Paul Newman and Burl Ives. So we'll start off today uh, with discussing the first movie that was mentioned, which is the 1951 Place in the Sun, which is a very well-known movie, not just for Elizabeth Taylor fans, but classic film fans in general. It's considered, um, you know, sort of up in that pantheon of uh, very famous films that you need to see before you die. Uh, Matt, I'll just give the the audience a bit of background on this film before we get into discussing it. So this film as we stated, um, was made in 1951. It's a Paramount film and it was uh, based on a true crime that occurred in 1906 and it was um, a, a similar situation where a woman and her partner, the woman was found dead and the partner was um, accused and I believe convicted of murdering her when it was revealed that um, she was uh, having a baby out of wedlock with him and a few other things, and it happened in a very similar fashion. This uh, film was directed by George Stevens, uh, and the screenplay was um, by Michael Wilson and Harry Brown. The film uh, won six Academy Awards, so it was a very much appreciated film, at least in critical circles, including Best Director and Best Screenplay. Uh, I believe Shelley Winters and Montgomery Clift were nominated as well, but didn't win. And it also, as a bit of film trivia, was the first ever Golden Globe recipient for, for best film. So we'll just quickly outline the plot here in the film and then we'll get on to discussing it. So George Eastman, played by Montgomery Clift, arrives in town to work for his family company. He's from the poor part of his family and tries to work his way up. He meets and then courts the very plain, let's use that term, uh, Alice, played by the great Shelley Winters, and they manage to land in quote-unquote trouble. Uh, of course, a lot of this stuff is implied in the film, not actually said directly. He then well, meets the... the doctor. Yeah, yes, that's right. And then he met, then meets the very ravishing Angela, played by the great Liz Taylor, a society girl. He is attracted to life with her and seeks to solve the problem of Alice and the trouble with her. But when he does so, is it an accident or a crime? So when Alice's body is found, 
a court case ensues and George is found guilty of murder. Angela visits him before he's taken away. So, Matt, what were your thoughts on this film? Well, I thought it was a very beautiful film. I think it's a... I think it is a masterpiece. I understand why some uh, critics uh, in more modern times are revising how um, uh, to the soul of America it is, Um, although I think a lot of the critiques are more of how uh, people are perhaps naively assume it's so much better um, in terms of um, uh, social progress because a big Mm -hmm. deal is um, of how a lot of modern critics... uh, have uh, changed their mind about just how perfect a classic it is, is because they think that because there's uh, not necessarily the same sort of a snobbish element in American high society that Mm -hmm. um, it's uh, less relevant for this person to be searching for that place in the sun and willing to kill to maintain social advancement. But whether or not you have that extra social layer, people will... Um, aspire to financial improvement and to some extent social standing. So I think a lot of the modern critiques are rather unreasonable and perhaps uh, naive as to just how uh, perfect this modern world is. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I believe that is still a very applicable story. And of course we have to uh, realize that this movie is although it has some basis on a historical concept, it's the, you have to look at it in the context of the movie itself and mm-hmm. not be judging the moral value of the original um, person, Gillette, who it was based on. Now, I have nothing good to say about him, but mm-hmm. in as for Montgomery Cliff's part, we have someone who has literally, I think, found love for someone and was tempted towards murder. I suppose mm-hmm. a lot of people occasionally uh, have those stressful situations. Yes. Not endorsing it, um, but, it, <laughs> but, it ha- but it happens. Um, people yes. do have um, tense moments. Yes. And so I think uh, the film is, uh, like I'm. it's been over a week since I watched it for um, uh, the podcast as my... Uh, uh, favorite type of homework and I'm still feeling bad for Montgomery being taken to his fate and after he was so close to getting getting the life he wanted. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I really, I think that the only person that I, I really kind of identified with in the film was Shelley Winter's um, uh, character of Alice. She was sort of the more interesting person to me because she really you know he has his sort of family name he can sort of work up through that but where she was really stuck in the sort of set of circumstances she was and I'm I have big moral problems with men and women getting into trouble and and just not owning up and you know like if that's what happens and he needed to do the right thing by her. So I was only ever really on her side. I suppose I I find it very hard to relate to Elizabeth Taylor's character of Angela. And I just found Montgomery Cliff's character of George just very frustrating because, you know, you did it, you, you need to deal with it and look after this girl. And that was very much what society was like back then. So, and really for me, the most 
terrible aspect of the film was that boat ride that she had with him. Um, Shelley Winters was just fantastic in this film. She yeah. always is, though, and unfortunately, um, you know, not everyone, everyone in, in their acting life has that sort of roles that they will get cast in. Elizabeth Taylor would get cast in the sort of roles she would. Montgomery Clift, before his accident, would get cast in a certain type of role. Everyone, unfortunately, a lot of it is on the basis of your appearance. And so she was always those sort of plain roles or the comedic roles or the, you know, she was the character actress, but she was yeah. utterly fantastic in that uh, scene leading up to her character's demise. Um, what did you think about um her character in this film in relation to Liz Taylor's character? Well, as far as um, uh, Winter's um, character, like you say, she is sort of the only one that's kind of truly relatable to most uh, uh, salt-of-the-earth people that where she, like you say, doesn't have the name to fall on. But mind you, even um, Montgomery Clifton, his part... uh, Technically, he's related to him, but to the to the Eastman family, but it doesn't really do much for his uh, work advancement because they sort of um, stash him away on a in a factory uh, role based on the generosity of um, the senior executive, and mm-hmm. he sort of does have to make his efforts with um, flattering and so forth, uh, like any other uh, person to get ahead. And the actually the tragic uh, truth of modern times is that uh, in these very uh, bureaucratic, uh, uh, very specific qualification only uh, job markets, um, a lot of people may not even have his advancement opportunities uh, right. uh, through the factory floor as um, uh, they may they may have had more back then. As for Elizabeth. <coughs> Sorry about that. Um, That's okay. (laughs) As as for Elizabeth Taylor's character, uh, like you say, it is hard to relate to her because really she is uh, she she is a a pastiche. She's um, um, a a caricature of the uh, sort of the beautiful rich dove in the golden cage to um, that Montgomery Clift aspires to be with. Yes, that's right. So, so she's just an ideal. It's not, was it really her that he was interested in, or what she represented? Like, I think she. I think he was. Um, there were there was more than um one person he could have um been with. Mind you, she probably um in a way represents anyone in her class. Uh, right. I, again, as opposed to the real life um. A crime where you had um, Gillette. <coughs> sorry, sorry again, people. It's uh, getting into winter. <laughs> um, it's okay. Yeah, uh, but yeah. So Gillette, who was uh, basically your run-of-the-mill social climber, and uh, at one point was willing to um, throw away someone he'd had an affair with to pursue a possible connection with a society woman who would later actually put out an advertisement in the paper to deny all association with him. Mm-hmm. But in, um, in the context of the, of the movie, it is a, um, it was a genuine, uh, love match and whether or not you're in the same social situation, people do, uh, fall in love at, um, inconvenient times. Mm-hmm. So 
Uh, yeah, I mean, it was definitely uh, in comparison to the original story that you're referencing there, uh, that was a lot more, that guy just was a criminal and, you know what I mean, there was a lot more back, it was more straight down the line, whereas in the movie they've added a lot of layers to it, uh, whereas, you know, the Montgomery Cliff's character is genuinely in love with Elizabeth Taylor's character and yet he does have feelings for Alice Shelley Winter's character as well so there's a lot more layers to it it's not as cut and dried uh, they did make um after this original case they did obviously have a book called an American Tragedy and a play and a 1931 film and apparently in that film it's a lot more closer to um to the actual original story so yeah i believe you're right there there's a lot more in this film to sort of feel for both characters but i guess for me in general i always frown upon characters like montgomery cliff's characters because i'm like don't do it if you don't want to deal with the <laughs> deal with well, there is one line in um the uh, party scene uh, where elizabeth taylor is t talking about how he's this very mysterious person where you can't quite tell how far down you have to reach to find the truth of him. And I'm like, God, that is basically, that uh, is a microcosm of the, the whole storyline. And to an extent, the Montgomery Cliff's entire career, I could regard in that way because he's this, such a sort of mystery um, man mm -hmm. where you never know quite where you stand with him. Like I never know when he's the ideal person for a role or not. It's like, it's why he's such yeah. an interesting uh, role as um, the priest in I Confess. Um, mm -hmm. And I don't want to um, go too much into that uh, film because I think that should be the focus of another episode on its own. Mm -hmm. But uh, Clift always had this very withdrawn, extremely internal element, and you never know quite where to stand with him. And I suppose for this role, um, where you really don't know where to relate with him, that made him perfect for it. Yes, well, and also I, I did see a, a short film clip with Elizabeth Taylor where, where she was discussing Montgomery Clift and she said that prior to working on this film with him, you know, she just kind of considered acting was a bit of a joke and a bit of a laugh and, you know, even though she'd been in some very good films prior to to working on this film in 1951, she said this was the first film where she went on the set and felt like she grew up as an actress because of how seriously Montgomery was taking everything. Mm. I mean, he took things very, very seriously. Um, and then, of course, they had a very deep friendship and she was there on the night he had that terrible accident in, in, in 1957 near her house when he had that horrible disfiguring accident. So, yeah. Um, the whole, um, yeah, his whole, you know, unfortunately his trajectory um, after some other films he did shortly after this sort of was on there because he was only, you know, 45 when he died and he really looked about sort of 85, didn't he, with all the alcoholism and, and everything. So, so um, yeah, when you see uh, stills from him in the judgment of Nuremberg and stuff, it's such a change. And, yeah, so it's, um, I know there was a, I don't know if he ever became a, like a full drug addict uh, like Elvis and others would um, become, but uh, definitely um, uh, the variety of medicines were a lot more primitive back then, and he probably was inclined to um, uh, have a lot more alcohol to sort of uh, while away the pain. Um, obviously, they had a much uh, less efficient uh, uh, therapy available um, for dealing with these problems 
Not that I think um, Cliff, like I think Cliff was before and after relatively comfortable in his own skin enough that he didn't feel like his um, persona had been completely obliterated by the accident. It wouldn't be like if mm. uh, Marilyn Monroe or someone had had a similar incident. Um, yes. Uh, mind you, she's proof that um, uh, your looks don't guarantee your happiness anyway. Yeah, um, that's right. So I think, uh, Clift, um, it is a, 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 tragic, uh, a tragic long suicide, as one article called it. Yeah, it is. And I think actually referencing Marilyn Monroe, they worked together on The Misfits and either yeah. she said of him or he said of her that they're even more messed up than I am, which actually... Uh, I've actually... forgotten that. Yeah, it's, yeah, uh, yeah. So it's either, I'm, I think it was uh, Marilyn Monroe said that about Montgomery Cliff. She said he's even yeah. more messed up than I am, if that's possible. So it's actually very sad for for all of them. But let's jump over to our next film that we're having a bit of a chat about today. Um, so the 1958 drama Cat on a Hot Tin Roof, um, this one was directed by Richard Brooks. He also, he had actually had a sort of long and interesting career himself. He directed um, a film shortly after Alma Gantry, which was quite famous. But his last film was Looking for Mr. Goodbar, which was made in the 70s. And my sister actually recently spoke to me about that film and said I should watch it. So that's he's actually got quite an interesting sort of body of work. So, of course, this um, film is based on Tennessee Williams' very, very, fa- um, very famous play, um, which obviously had long stints on Broadway and other great stages of the world. So this film starred, of course, Elizabeth Taylor, Paul Newman, Burl Ives, Judith Anderson again, we remember her, um, and the screenplay or the adapted screenplay from the, uh, the play was by Richard Brooks and James Poe. Um, yeah, and this was an MGM production. So just to refresh our audience quickly with um, the storyline in this film, uh, Brick, played by uh, Paul Newman, and Maggie by Elizabeth, uh, visit their family state in Mississippi to celebrate Brick's father's 65th birthday, the famous Big Daddy. Over the course of the day and the night, tempers flare regarding children, inheritances and illnesses. The various members of the family are confronted with certain home truths, especially with regards to Brick's late friend, Skipper. So, Matt, what's your feelings on this? Firstly, just before we go through, um, apparently Lana Turner and Grace Kelly were considered for this role prior to Liz uh, getting this film. Which is well, kind of interesting. Yeah. Well, I didn't um, uh, know that myself, but I'm so glad that we did see Elizabeth Taylor in this role because it's such a reversal from the type of character she had in A Place in the Sun where she's this um, pastiche um, rich girl and instead she is a very... Well, her character in this uh, in this movie is probably one of the most um, layered, earthy, authentic people I can think of, and she does the swap over so well. It's complete role reversal. Um, instead, she's the really aspiring, uh, wealthy, per- uh, aspiring to be, if not that she's uh, trying to be a society hostess, but she just wants to. Um, have enough money to not be dependent on people that she hates. Yes. Uh, it's, um, I think it's something a, a lot of us would relate with. And another yeah. relatable element of this uh, movie at, one, at this particular time is um, Paul Newman's character being angry that he's uh, uh, 
bound at home with an injury. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I think a lot of people would find it relatable. <laughs> yes. Um, it's actually funny. I, I had often heard so much about these films and I had never actually seen them. So I don't know what I thought A Place in the Sun was about. I thought that was about going to some beach shack on the beach or something and they were hanging out at the beach. And then, of course, this one, I, you know, seen parts of it and I didn't actually realise some of the undertones in this film. I thought it was just about, you know, Elizabeth Taylor's character, Maggie, being just a bit of a pain and whinging at him. I thought she was the one drinking a lot, actually. So it was sort of interesting to actually sort of see some of these films and get some of the misconceptions I had um, about them cleared up. What do you think about um, Tennessee Williams was apparently unhappy that, um, so that character of Skipper that we mentioned, there was an issue with him and Brick and this character committed suicide and then Brick started a downward slope after that. And Tennessee Williams was quite unhappy that the homosexual overtones were taken out of the film or the, at least the overt ones. Yeah, because yeah, to me, I, I think it works better if Brick wasn't a relationship with Skipper or or at least, we, you know, that was implied. Whereas to me, it feels a bit dull if that's taken out. What do you think? Well, um, definitely it's uh, to the modern audience uh, when you're used to having to um, fill in a lot of lines on previous stories, you, you wonder, I think, wow, he, he, they must have been good friends, but I'm like, why is he so beaten up? Yes. Uh, why why yeah. is he putting himself into a, uh, into a drunken stupor? Um, because really he's not that... Um, yes, he's sorry for himself about being injured, but... Uh, it's made clear that it's uh, much more that he feels this intense guilt for his part, for his part in his friend's suicide. Um, yes. So I, I think. Just, uh, yeah, I, I think because Paul Newman apparently came out and said, no, we we really should make it the way it was intended. And I know that Tennessee Williams had several different drafts going around of this play anyway. Um, but it, yeah, it just loses something to me. Like, I understand back then, like, as you've sort of referenced in the chat today, like, it was a different time and there was sort of certain codes of things that they couldn't discuss openly then, like, with regards to A Place in the Sun, the, the abortion or anything like that. And this film, like, homosexuality, they couldn't just come out and say it, whereas now it would be all over the screen if they were making but, this this. Mind now. you, it, it can be a bit of a double standard to some of those uh, parts because when you think of the end of... Um, cat on a hot tin roof and you have that very sexual scene where they're effectively about to say okay okay we're getting pregnant yeah uh, and so it was okay for them to make that clear implication and i'm not talking like a alfred hitchcock's uh, moving a train into a tunnel metaphor type sort of yeah. scenario was, <laughs> it, it, there was no room for ambiguity yeah <laughs> That's a good one. Good old hitches, good at stuff like that. Uh, yeah, I don't know. For me, it watched a little bit too much like um, it looked like it had definitely been a play before. I don't know whether they needed to have a bit more movement around inside or outside or something, but it really, the whole time I was thinking, I'd really just prefer to watch the play of this. I don't know. How well, do you the, feel about that? Well, there, it was still a time when um, you could have much more theatrical tones and how a film production was uh, managed and uh, get away with it. I mean, uh, 
like I always seem to go to an Alfred Hitchcock example, but then uh, <laughs> that's everyone else's problem. But yes, Dial M for Murder, that literally was, um, for example, uh, a theatre set with a camera mounted in front. And yeah. But for this play, I suppose theatre in its essence is about dialogue and, yeah. um, and character expressed through that. So if the... And so I think the story is strong enough, um, even with uh, some bits uh, of the homosexual undertone and stuff butchered out, um, it ha- it's strong enough on its own to not be reliant on as much cinematography. Right. Yeah. I mean, it, it's not. it wasn't bad or anything like that. I just, the whole time I was thinking, I'd probably just actually prefer to go out physically and watch the play of this. I think I'd probably enjoy that more than watching the film. But one thing I did find out I didn't know, we all know Liz and her multitudes and many husbands. Um, I didn't realise that her husband, Mike Todd, actually died just as she... So the shooting started on March the 12th, 1958. And she was actually kind of sick when shooting started, so that kind of delayed things anyway. And then on March the 21st, um, Mike Todd, her husband, the only one she didn't get divorced from, uh, died in a very sudden plane crash that she was perhaps supposed to be on and then decided not to go. And then she returned kind of a very different person on April the 14th and kept shooting. So I didn't actually realise she'd gone through all that at that particular point. Yeah, so um, like Cruel Me thinks, okay, that's the one marriage that's uh, lasted because it didn't have a chance, <laughs> uh, it didn't have a chance for a divorce. So sorry, that's mean. Um, <laughs> yeah, well. There's it, a lot to go through. And, I mean, fair play to her for some people would have just quit, you know, like. Well, I think she was a pretty good professional, and yes. she being a child actress all her uh, uh, life, so it was probably her whole whole world to um uh, keep on acting through any kind of personal dilemma. Because unfortunately, her whole life had been um uh, controlled by the studio publicity department. Yes, yeah, uh, she. Yeah, so I just thought that was an amazing thing to actually go through. I mean, I she's one of these people who just sort of wants to be married. So, you know, she certainly, you know, because it wasn't that long before she was with um, her husband, uh, was it Michael Wilding, who was her husband when the Montgomery Cliff accident happened, and that wasn't that that long before all this happened. So, you know, and she'd already sort of had a few marriages up until that point. So I just thought that was a really amazing, amazing thing to go through. So, but so, so in terms of Cat on a Hot Tin Roof, I mean, is there, is there a performance of hers that you would prefer out of these two films or sort of Maggie or Angela? Oh, It's it's hard to sometimes uh, separate um, whether you prefer the production more or their part in it. Mm-hmm. Um, I think um, she really drives the um, Elizabeth Taylor really drives the um, her part in Canada Hot Tim Roof. So I would have to say that I think that is the part that she does the best. Mm-hmm. Uh, that that isn't to say though that um it it is a like my uh, I much prefer a place in the sun but on mm-hmm. the other hand it's it's not it's just simply that um kind of hot table in it roof uh, shows how much she can go when she's dealing with a much uh, more um 
coarse character. And yeah. I, th- I think it would add a very interesting um, extra element of art imitating life if you were, uh, if they, you could have convinced Tennessee Williams that, okay, Elizabeth Taylor has had this um, early marriage already that's disappeared just beforehand because. Taylor's character in uh, Hot Tin Roof is exactly the sort of person who would have probably had a very early marriage that was uh, like to a farm boy or something that would have been affected by accident. Yeah. Uh, Oh, I hated going to that funeral in my (laughs) horrid black clothes. (laughs) You don't know what it's like. Well, actually, and also, I mean, you know, she was only 17 when she made A Place in the Sun. And... She, so she was really only, you know, sort of 26, 27, 28, you know, when she was doing A Cat on a Hot Tin Roof. So she was still quite a young person, but such an old actress, if that if that makes sense. Like she'd been around for so long and done so many films and, like you said, had really just spent her whole life and obviously that carried into the professionalism. Um, but it was interesting because the first person on Broadway who played the role of Maggie was Barbara Balgetti's. And she she's quite different to Elizabeth Taylor. And, of course, I have to make mention that she played Larry Hagman's mother on Dallas. But, you know, I have to try to slip that in somehow. Uh, and that's a completely different um, role because, um, as well, uh, from another one I know her in, because I was first introduced to her in an episode of Alfred Hitchcock. Yes, I'll mention him again. Yeah. <laughs> in series where she plays this... Uh, sort of perfect housewife the perfect uh, american 1950s housewife where her husband a policeman comes in she's um he doesn't say a word he's just really gloomy and dark and she's saying all these perfect nice things every everything that the magazines would have recommended her to say and she's so happy and uh, not a bit of her true emotions but then when her husband says actually he wants to leave her and mm-hmm. she calculatingly takes a frozen leg of lamb and knocks him out with it and then <laughs> roasts it and serves it to the policeman. Um, <laughs> so that is a very... So that is nothing like uh, the sort of person Elizabeth Taylor was in that role. She was very much saying it as it was, but yeah, yeah. I can see now how Bar- Barbara would have um, uh, given that very practical element to the yeah, yeah yeah and no it's just yeah I, I didn't actually know that I thought wow she although you know she was a great actress so I'm sure she she probably could have brought a lot of what was needed to that role so um yeah uh, just as an overview for me I probably preferred Place in the Sun as a film overall and I uh, agree with you I think Liz was able to showcase her talent more in Cat on a Hot Tin Roof um, yeah in Place in the Sun, she was more like a very beautiful idol to be aspired to. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. So, yeah, no, two two very interesting films. I'm glad we did those as a double. And just to let the audience know, our next double, we have a Billy Wilder, director Billy Wilder um, double. We've got Sunset Boulevard, which is 1950, with Gloria Swanson and William Holden, a very famous film. And then another very famous film, one of my personal favourites, and where I get a lot of my um, sort of sayings that my friends have to listen to nonstop um, is Some Like It Not, 1959, with Marilyn Monroe, Jack Lemmon and Tony Curtis. So I think that will be a fun, a very diff, two di- very different films, but two very 
great films by the same time. I'm really excited for the episode. But before we sign off on this one, actually mentioning in connection with Sunset Boulevard, um, mm-hmm. in both research, uh, we actually found out that Montgomery Clift had actually turned down a part in Sunset Boulevard because we know he was um, in the closet and one of his long-term female friendships that the newspapers were out of desperation to find a gossipy, juicy story about him were going to say that um, they were in a sort of... Um, cougar toy boy relationship uh, with an act- another actress that was 16 years his senior he out of respect for her turned down the uh, role of a lifetime in sunset boulevard which william holden took over because uh, he didn't want the press making associations oh right oh that's so, interesting so that so, was something we um uh, i just uh, thought we uh, had to mention in connection yeah no, definitely. No, I th- yeah, I mean, you know, reading about Montgomery Clift, he certainly did turn down some some roles. I was, I think I, now that you mentioned that, I, I do remember reading something about that. And there were a few other roles that he, that he turned down as well. And he used to just sort of book his films. I don't think he was really part of that big studio system at the time. He used to just kind of book the films as he wanted to do them and lived a very, and he lived away from Hollywood. He lived in New York a lot of his life. So he managed to use a lot of um, bargaining power early on and managed to avoid the the major contracts in the early stage. So his um, stardom came at just the right amount that he could negotiate his way through, which mm-hmm. um, was was good for his career. Personally, I um, uh, think that uh, for the institution as a whole, uh, the studio system was a probably not as bad as some people make out for because it did give uh, job security to um, a lot of the employees that nowadays are all uh, having to scrape by on casual um, uh, income. Uh, But uh, certainly for um, the people truly involved in their craft and um, who were talented, had the opportunity to work, um, it would have been very stifling to have had um, uh, inappropriate roles forced on you. Yes, yeah, I did. Yeah, that's sort of um, you know you read about. I mean, the amount of movies that they that they make that they had to make, but you know it was their job. You know, it was very different to how films are made are made now. So I guess there's good and and bad things about that. So, um, yeah. So, well, I think that's pretty much everything from us today. Matt, did you want to just let everyone know where they can find us? Well, you can find us on YouTube. That is our principal station at the moment. And so if you like this, uh, podcast, please hit that subscribe button, tap the bell icon. So you get notified of new content. We also have, our Vimeo channel that we upload the same uh, program to and you can also find out about us on Twitter Facebook and Instagram you can find all those uh, links in on our YouTube channel as well uh, to those who know me they will know that I am not very technical but I <laughs> did manage to uh, get those social media icons working on our YouTube channel banner page so uh, please don't make my efforts be in vain use those <laughs> buttons Find our social media channels and subscribe and leave some uh, nice comments because we love to hear them. We love to discuss some content. So it means the world to us. 
And any uh, ideas that they have for any movie doubles, you know, we're always open to to any old thing. So I guess that wraps us uh, that wraps us up today. Thank you so much for listening and spending a bit of time with us. So just to finish off, I'm Rachel. I'm Matthew. And we're watching good movies. We'll see you on the next one. Thanks. Bye. Bye.